a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. The debt clock is ticking in the United States and spending cuts may be on the horizon. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the United States could run out of the money to pay for its bills by June the 1st if the Congress does not raise or suspend the debt limit. So how did the United States sink into this quagmire again? CGTN's White House correspondent Nathan King has the latest. Well, the clock is ticking. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said that the U.S. could run out of its ability to pay some of its debts on the $31 trillion it owes both here and around the world by the 1st of June. Now, the Republicans have said they will not aid the government to raise the debt limit uh, until there are serious negotiations about cutting uh, the budget. The problem is, of course, is that the debt has already been paid for. Essentially, uh, that is stuff that's already been agreed to uh, by Congress. Uh, the Republicans are essentially saying, well, we want cuts in the future in return for raising the debt on stuff we already owe. Uh, there is going to be talks here on Tuesday, May 9th. The congressional leaders, both Republican and Democrat, will join with U.S. President Biden in the first meetings that we have seen uh, uh, since this potential crisis uh, begun. Will there be a breakthrough? Well, in past experiences, any indicator, this usually goes down to the wire. So it's probably the first of many back and forth we are going to see for a week. But just remember, the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt before, and it would wobble the financial system. It would hit the U.S. economy very hard. And of course, a lot of foreign companies and countries own the $31 trillion uh, worth of U.S. debt in Treasury bills around the world. So it would affect the U.S. global system in terms of its finances, but also the U.S.'s reputation and the dollar as well. So much is at stake. And many countries are looking at the U.S. again and saying, why are you playing this brinkmanship uh, over domestic politics? Nathan King, CGTN, just outside the White House. That was my colleague Nathan Kenny in Washington, D.C., just outside the White House. Now, for more discussions, I'm joined today in Beijing by Michael Powers, a Zurich Insurance Group Chair Professor from Tsinghua University in Shanghai. We have Joseph Gregory Mahoney, Professor of Politics at East China Normal University. And in Los Angeles, we have William Lee, Chief Economist at the Milken Institute. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, let me start with you, William, in Los Angeles. Let's first of all take a look at the outstanding debt over the last half a century for the United States. Now, according to the U.S. Department of the Treasury, U.S. debt rose significantly 400 percent in just the last two decades, hitting uh, the record high of uh, 31 trillion U.S. dollars at the end of 2022. Uh, that kept rising, of course, through this year. Um, William, what is at stake? How significant is this? It's very important because the United States has been running deficits. Uh, uh, in other words, the government has been spending more than it's taking in in revenues and taxes. And as a consequence, it's had to issue debt in order to finance the deficit. Fortunately, the United States is in a very good position in that the, the dollar is a reserve currency. So not only are we able to borrow from our own citizens, but we're also able to borrow from the rest of the world. And up until now, the rest of the world has have been willingly uh, giving us resources in return for holding U.S. dollars in the form of U.S. Treasury bills. Uh, and the U.S. deficit now has grown from 3% of, uh, of our 
gross domestic product to well over 5% because of extra spending that's taken place because of COVID. So we are seeing uh, deficits starting to grow. And we had hoped that with COVID being over, we could cut back on our spending to be closer in line with our revenues. But that hasn't happened. And that's really at the crux of the political battle between the Democrats and the Republicans. Uh, Joseph, what do you think is at stake? Uh, how bad will this look like for the United States, uh, physically, financially, for its citizens, but also if you look at the ripple effects for other uh, emerging economies and the rest of the world? Well, you know, as, as some economists like to point out, the dollar is the global reserve currency. So the U.S. is almost compelled to run trade deficits with every country it trades with. Now, this creates a perpetual demand for U.S. debt. Uh, second, uh, American political gridlock prevents an honest assessment of the budget. Uh, and third, uh, crises that uh, are, are cyclical in nature, uh, for example, the, the global financial crisis in 2008, and that associated with uh, the, the failed uh, COVID response policies in 2020 and 2021, have certainly made the debt problem a lot worse, as my colleague in, in LA has, has noted. Now, you know, the more than $5 trillion in federal stimulus, stimulus associated with the COVID fiscal policies certainly accelerated matters, as has America's imperial addiction to military spending. Now, Interestingly, many uh, Republicans blame Democrats and spending on social programs, but in fact, many Republicans pander to older voters and don't touch the social spending that disproportionately benefits them. And while they like to pejoratively uh, describe uh, Democrats as tax and spend, in fact, the Republicans have contributed more to the debt problem, as we saw, uh, especially during the Reagan, George W. Bush and Trump administrations, in so much as they spent with few limitations, but but always uh, looked for opportunities to, to cut revenues. Now, in fact, when we see these types of irresponsible uh, fiscal and, and uh, monetary policies with, with the monetary side in 2020 and 2021 alone, we saw the Fed increase the money supply by 27%. This creates, uh, uh, or it, it effectively uh, exports America's financial pain onto the rest of the world in so much as the dollar does play such a significant role in the global financial system. Yeah, we saw efforts by many countries, China and Brazil, to, to have this de-dollarizing or de-dollarized world, but it is a process in the making and many argue that it will be a very, very long process. Um, uh, Michael in Beijing, let me turn to you. Last January, uh, Indiana Republican Senator Michael Braun wrote on Twitter that America has runaway debt that will cripple the U.S. for generations, and nobody in Washington seems to care. Um, is there some truth to that statement? I, I think there certainly is some truth to it, uh, keeping in mind that uh, the U.S. government inevitably will, will run deficits, and I think there's general agreement among economists that that's the right thing to do. Uh, what we're seeing now is deficits that are out of control, a debt that is growing very rapidly, um, this has been decades in the making, as, as my colleague uh, pointed out. Um, I, I think that the comments of that particular uh, senator um, resonate with things that we, we've heard in history. Um, I, I think that w often people will, will trace the current pattern of, of spending and not covering it with taxes back to the, the Reagan era when uh, President Reagan wanted to, to lower taxes, but the Democratic Congress didn't want to cut spending. So President Reagan just went ahead and, um, and allowed the deficit to increase um, by keeping taxes low and continuing to spend. Uh, this pattern then created some concern. Um, there was a period um, when there was a, a tremendous amount of concern in the United States uh, just before the, the Clinton administration. And during the Clinton administration, there was bipartisan effort 
to get the uh, deficit and the debt under control. Uh, that worked for a period of time, but then um, with the financial crisis, 2007, 2008, and followed by uh, COVID uh, more recently, I, I would say that both the administrations and the Congress uh, do not find this a great, uh, great concern. Yeah, well, in the meanwhile, the United States technically hit its 31 trillion debt ceiling in January, and the Treasury was forced to use, quote unquote, extraordinary measures. Uh, so, William Lee, let me turn to you. Uh, how do you envision these extraordinary measures to play out? I mean, with the United States having a license to print, if you will, due to the dominance of a dollar in the global marketplace, uh, does the debt ceiling actually matter? I mean, it could just go on and on and on, right? The debt ceiling matters. Uh, sorry, sorry, Michael, if you no, hold on for a second. The debt ceiling sorry, actually William. does. I'm sorry. The, no, no worries, the Michael. The debt ceiling matters because the absolutely limits it absolutely limits the U.S. government from issuing more debt. And the only way the government pays off debt is by rolling over. That is, when debt matures, it issues new debt to pay the old debt. Uh, and one of the things that the Treasury has been trying to do has been to prioritize its spending and to try to uh, pay the bills that have to be paid and put off paying the bills that can be put off. But one of the things to keep in mind is that the United States right now is running deficits because the social spending or what we call mandatory spending, the entitlements that are yeah. mandated by law are, are growing much faster than revenues. And that really is the source. It's not the military spending. It's a discretionary budget deficit has actually been coming down over the years. And as a share of GDP has been very stable. What has not been stable has been the growing social entitlements. And that is something that the Congress is not willing to to put a foot down and say, we need to pay for entitlements with taxes. And as a consequence, the issue is more and more debt. And right now, I think the, the world is growing impatient with the rising debt ceiling. Now, keep in mind, the debt ceiling is a nominal number. It's 30-something trillion dollars. And every year with inflation, that number gets bigger and bigger. The United States and Denmark are the only two countries in the world that have such a nominal ceiling. Most countries express, their, express a debt ceiling, if they have one, as a share of GDP. The European Union, for example, says that all countries have to stay within 60% of GDP in terms of their debt-to-GDP ratio. Uh, and their deficits have to be staying within 3% of GDP. Now, some countries violate that and they have to deal with it, but that's that's a much easier number to deal with than an absolute hard stop that we way we have in the United States. So this is an artificial problem, but it has to be addressed. It cannot be ignored and put off. Yeah, yeah. thank you for pointing out the distinction between the mandatory spending and uh, the discretionary spending, both uh, taking up the chunk of the, the deficit. Uh, uh, Michael, what do you think? Well, I was going to say that uh, that the uh, this particular crisis, the um, with with regard to to raising the debt ceiling, um, it, it's something that the, the, the Congress has to deal with uh, on an annual um, basis. Um, it is more political theater uh, than anything else. But, of course, it makes um, investors, markets, businesses, everyone uh, very nervous because uh, it, it's an opportunity for uh, Congress and the president to engage in brinksmanship um, and to try to, to, to gain political favor with the electorate from that. Um, at the end of the day, the, the United States will pay its bills. There's no question about that. It's constitutionally mandated. The question is, how do we get from here to there? What pattern um, of, of, or sequence of events are we going to take? And which political party is going to be able to benefit the most um, from its posturing and gamesmanship during this period? Yeah, there's going to be a lot I'd of... I'd like to add something. Yeah, Joseph, go ahead. I'd like to add something. 
you to, to your question on extraordinary measures, uh, uh, which are a lot more difficult now that the Fed has uh, grossly inverted the, the yield curve. Now, previously, uh, the Fed balance sheet uh, spit out earnings that were in excess of its obligations uh, because the balance sheet had assets that had a higher coupon rate than the reverse repo uh, the Fed had promised the banks. Those earnings accrued to the Treasury general account uh, giving uh, basically uh, Yellen a slush fund to spend on goods and services. However, now that Powell has so rapidly increased rates, the Fed balance sheet spits out earnings at a rate that is much lower than its obligations, meaning that uh, the Treasury general account is no longer automatically filled. It bleeds money out, and that makes all of this much more difficult. Right. To deal with the mounting debt issue, House Republicans passed legislation in April to raise the debt limit for one more year in exchange for deep spending cuts and a recent climate legislation rollback. Uh, President Joe Biden, of course, blasted this bill, saying that for over 200 years, America has never, ever, ever failed to pay its debts. Um, so, so, Joseph, let me stay with you. I'd like to get your take on this, too. Should the debt ceiling be raised or not, and why? Well, the debt ceiling has to be raised. Otherwise, the cost will be unbearable, uh, particularly given an economy and banking system already experiencing uh, considerable stress, uh, including the sort of indicators that generally precede a significant recession. Now, from a political perspective, uh, there are two key points here. First, historically, Republicans have sometimes played chicken with the debt ceiling, but this has always corresponded with a drop in their approval ratings. Now, this trend is clear enough that few really want to test it again, even for temporary political theater. Uh, second, if they fail to raise the, the ceiling and the U.S. tips into a recession, which is a significant possibility anyway, then Democrats will blame Republicans for tanking the economy over this issue. And, uh, the, the, you know, the possibility of a recession and being able to blame Biden is really the best opportunity that Republicans have for winning the presidency and taking full control of the legislative branch in the next election. So I suspect that they will they'll, they'll play with this a bit, but uh, mm. but eventually they'll punt. You're talking about the optics and the political theater. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has been urging Joe Biden to step up to the negotiating table. Uh, let's take a listen. He's putting the American economy in jeopardy by his lack of action. Now he should sit down and negotiate. We passed this early. We are in April, way ahead of the debt limit. We are the only party to take fiscal action in a sound mind that would lift the debt limit so we wouldn't have economic damage. Now, in response to Janet Yellen's new deadline, Joe Biden called the top four leaders in Congress for a meeting on Tuesday uh, U.S. time. All the four leaders, bipartisan congressional leaders there. Um, William Lee, what will be the major divergences to deal with? Do, do you expect any uh, consensus? Well, they're going to have to start talking for the first time now because we are reaching too close to the limits where the Secretary Yellen can no longer play games and pay bills and, and try to stage things. But one thing to keep in mind, both parties, when they were in majority position, could have eliminated the debt ceiling problem. And that, that is just get rid of debt ceiling legislation requirement. But neither no party wanted to do that because they knew that if they ever became the minority party, it's the only way to get the majority party to negotiate. And right now, the Republicans are trying to negotiate caps on social spending and caps on the deficit in a way that that would allow the, the debt to GDP ratio, that is debt 
the growth of debt to be more manageable and sustainable. Uh, when the Democrats were in the minority party, they also did the same thing, to, to use the debt ceiling as hostage to get their positions out on the table. So we know that negotiating will take place, but the, the, right now the size is so far apart, the markets in the world are now concerned that they may actually pass the deadline and not raise the debt ceiling because both parties are so entrenched in their positions. And this is a political game of chicken that is going to have real serious consequences for global investors. Well, William, uh, earlier you mentioned the fact that uh, mandatory spending entitlements, uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicare and Medicaid, taking up the chunk yeah. of uh, the uh, deficits and therefore the debts, um, is there a way out? I mean, would there be a revolt of sorts? if either party yes. takes that out from uh, the American public, especially those who depend upon the entitlements programs. And, and one way out that the Congressional Budget Office has suggested, that, in fact, they suggested a whole list of ways to, to solve the problem, but unfortunately it involves putting caps on the amount of social spending or it, 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 it involves entitlement tests. That is, do you have sufficiently high income that we can cut back on the amount of entitlements that you're getting either through Medicaid or Medicare or, or even Social Security? That's a very hard political problem to, to touch, but the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan or bipartisan institution in, in Washington, has come up with a lot of analyses on how to s deal with the problem. Unfortunately, the politics don't allow the economic solutions to be uh, put on the table in a serious way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've seen this before. Uh, it's the politics that's getting the better of uh, the economics and economic decision making. Uh, Michael, among the four leaders in the Congress, Senator Chuck Schumer also urged to lift the limit with no strings attached and signed a letter, in fact, in supporting uh, quote-unquote spending cuts and structural budget reform regarding the U.S. possible default. Uh, here's what he wanted. Let's take a listen. Default would mean the checks would stop from Social Security, from the military, and to much more. Anything less than a clean package is irresponsible, but it's also dangerous. Dangerous to the millions of seniors who depend on these checks for their rent, their food, their mortgage, etc. Well, Michael, what do you make of this? Well, again, I, I, I think that that's um, uh, Senator Schumer indicating, uh, staking out his position. Uh, he would like to see the, the Congress uh, raise the debt limit without any strings attached. Um, it, essentially, what we're watching, again, is um, a negotiation um, and a, an attempt by both parties to try to win the hearts and minds of the public to indicate that they are the ones who are negotiating in good faith. But I think we should keep in mind that there is no objective standard for, object, uh, for negotiating in good faith. At the end of the day, it's, it, it's going to be a question of what are the, the negative ramification and, and ramifications and who gets the blame for them. So I, I think um, it's, it's, it's already been mentioned that in the past, Republicans have uh, lost ground by playing this kind of brinksmanship. And certainly um, there is tremendous um, fear that people's paychecks will stop and, and so forth. But uh, if the economy were to go into default and the financial markets were rattled and there was a global-wide recession as a result, I think that people would probably look beyond Congress and uh, at the leadership of the president. So there's dangerous, there are dangers here for President Biden as well. Well, at the end of the day, it's all about uh, people uh, you know, in the marketplace. Uh, let's take a listen 
to what average American citizens have to say about the spending cuts and uh, this game of chicken, if you will, on the debt limit. Take a listen. For me, even with a master's degree and having experience out in the field for over 10 years, I've had to have at least three jobs in order to not live paycheck to paycheck. There's no policy in place to assist people. And I feel like as soon as you get a job or as soon as you're working, they're just like, oh, that's all you need is a job. You got it. For my age and where I wanted to be, where I thought I should be in life, I felt like behind. I didn't have any savings. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Well, Joseph, uh, what's on your mind when you hear those remarks? Well, you know, we, we've seen a decline in real wages and the erosion of the middle class uh, as a general trend since the 1980s. And uh, increasingly, uh, Americans uh, have felt uh, uh, this uh, declining uh, economic prospects, which, which of course have been exacerbated by uh, uh, crises periods like 2008 and 2020 and 21. But you know, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, it's difficult to assess a, a political reality where substantial spending cuts are going to take place. Uh, neither party wants to make uh, substantial cuts. We can talk about caps, uh, but they don't really want to make cuts to defense spending, and neither can really afford politically to make. Uh, substantial cuts, as has already been noted, uh, to entitlement pro uh, programs, especially as we're entering the next uh, presidential cycle. Uh, so uh, when they uh, talk about spending cuts, what Republicans probably have in mind, uh, aside from caps, are budget items like Biden's climate change initiatives or possibly uh, some uh, cuts associated with the Departments of Education or Health and Human Services, preferably over some flashy issue that divides Americans along political lines or that can be cast as an unaffordable luxury, but most likely won't substantially improve Americans' financial health or uh, substantially address uh, the needs, the growing needs of many Americans. Yeah, um, now I want to look at the global implications, uh, gentlemen. Uh, markets seemed calm so far, relatively speaking, but some investors are becoming nervous. Some have sold government bonds that mature in three months from now. Also, the cost of insuring uh, existing bonds holdings against the possibility that the United States default has also risen sharply. Uh, William, uh, what are the risks of a Treasury sell-off and what are the risks for China, one of the largest holders of U.S. debt? Well, Japan, China, uh, United Kingdom, Belgium uh, and Luxembourg, these five countries are, are essentially holders of about half of all the U.S. debt that's uh, outstanding in, in the hands of foreigners. And so the, the confidence in the dollar and the confidence that, they, that these countries can hold their wealth in the form of U.S. Treasuries is very important for the United States because it is key to financing the U.S. deficits. Now, I think one, one thing China has done over the years, especially the last year, has been to diversify their holdings of wealth and not hold everything in dollars. They, they, China used to hold... in. Uh, a few years ago, over one and a half trillion dollars in treasuries. Now it's down to about 800 something uh, billion. And so China has certainly reduced its holdings, as has Japan. Uh, but the Europeans have increased their holdings. So what we see is that in the world financial markets, there's more diversification going on. And, 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 and I think that's a, a good thing. One thing that the Treasury has to do is to guarantee that each Treasury bill, each Treasury bond that a foreigner holds is paid. Interest paid on time and the principal is paid on time when the, mature, when the, the security matures. That is at the heart of the international financial system. And Treasuries are at the heart of the pricing of all securities. That is, every bond out there is priced relative to the rate that's offered by Treasuries. So any distortion and fear that the Treasury may not be able to pay off will cause havoc 
in the ability of companies to finance. So this issue was a very important one for global investors, for the way countries hold their wealth, the sovereigns hold their wealth. And, and, and unless Congress gets its act together, uh, the markets now are starting to doubt because, uh, that they, the, the, the growth of the debt in the United States is going to become sustainable. That is, if the deficits continue to grow and we continue to finance with debt, people are going to wonder whether or not they should be holding more treasuries. And if the doubt enters into the minds of investors out there, that will sh shake the foundation of the financial system uh, globally, because as I said, every bond in the world is priced off of U.S. treasuries. Well, do you see an inflection point, uh, you know, down the line at some point in the future uh, when, like you said, the investors are thinking or are double thinking about uh, the merits of holding U.S. dollars? We are sitting at that inflection point right now. Uh, the deficit in the United States has risen, as I said, from about 3% of GDP to projected to go well above 7% in 10 years' time. And most of that rise is because, as I said before, due to entitlement spending. And I think the world is starting to doubt whether the U.S. Congress has the enough guts to be able to put in place restraints on entitlement spending. We already see defense spending projected to go down by from 3% 3, uh, 3 of, of GDP down to about 2 point something percent. So we already see uh, discretionary spending being contained. But with higher interest payments and other higher mandated expenditures by, 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 the, uh, by the legislation that has not been passed to control the entitlements, that's where financial markets are having their doubts, that Congress will not be able to contain those, those kind of spending. Right. With rising U.S. debt and this physical brinksmanship, um, Michael, what do you think could be the far-reaching implications for the world? Well, I, I think that probably um, Congress and the administration will find a way to, to resolve this crisis. There, there are a number of different options both sides have. Um, but um, I, I think that th this repeating pattern uh, begins to wear on um, the patience of investors. And I think that it can degrade uh, the, their confidence and, and, and interest in purchasing U.S. Treasury bonds um, in the long run. So, so in terms of, of the future of the global economy, I think that this is another possible black mark uh, against uh, the U.S. dollar and, and something that may cause nations in, in the future to move away from the U.S. dollar as such a dominant reserve currency. William, Joseph, and Michael, thank you all so very much. Very interesting discussion. Thank you and come back. That will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our news coverage continues on CGTN. Bye and take care. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. <laughs> Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Donated an additional $500,000 to director of the International Monetary Fund. Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world.